Today, we're going to be talking about fasting for revival. Fasting for revival. And so let's turn to Joel chapter 1, uh, verse 14. Uh, and it says, Consecrate a fast. Proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, today, God. Lord, we pray that, that you would, Lord, speak to us, Lord. God, we need revival. God, we need a personal revival, God. We need uh, a revival in our homes, God, a revival in our church, Lord, a revival, God, in our workplace, a revival in this city. And so we say, come, Holy Spirit, and bring, God, the, the, the deep, deep, Lord, presence of God, Lord, into our lives, even in a richer way. Lord, let there be an outpouring of the Spirit upon us, God. Lord, we thank you, Lord. And now we just come humbly to your word, God, and we ask you to speak to us through it, God. To that end, we ask you right now to release the revelatory ministry of the Holy Spirit in this room. Lord, give us an ear to hear and a heart to receive what the Spirit is saying to each one of us, individually and corporately as body. Lord, I humble myself today. I ask you to use me to preach your prophetic word with power and authority. Help me, Lord, not just convey your words, God, but convey your heart. God, we thank you, Lord. We love you in this house, God. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. Okay, so before uh, we get into the message, uh, I want to just share real briefly uh, on uh, what's going to happen on Tuesday, primarily which means that we're going to break our fast. So I'm going to talk about that. I know no one listens to what I, what I say. Uh, and so I give advice. Listen, I barely listen to my own advice, okay? And so let's be honest about this. But this is how you should break a fast. Uh, this is, uh, uh, you know, scientific and all these. And, 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 and part of it, if you notice in the scriptures, there's not a lot of information on how to break a fast, primarily because it was such common knowledge in those days that they didn't think it was necessary to actually write on how to do this. Uh, but the art of, of breaking a fast is, is really um, lies in the, uh, bringing your body back to its accustomed strengths, accustomed appetites, uh, your digestive organs, you know, to, uh, to operate efficiently and smoothly uh, as it was before. And so, you know, when your body is awakened with this hunger, uh, you know, it's, a lot of it's in your mind, you know, uh, some of it's in your stomach. It's going to take a little while for your body uh, to really come together uh, and, and uh, take in all this necessary food. So it requires a little bit of self-discipline. Um, uh, you know, don't be like our Pastor Kenny that goes to McDonald's, right, right after EMP. No, he does. He, he, he has the kanji, and then he runs to McDonald's, and, uh, and then he pays the price later on that night. Uh, but so you know, just, just be wise in how you do this. Um, generally, for a 21-day fast, if you're, if you're a normal person, you know, kind of a, a healthy, normal person, um, I don't, I'm not going to define what that is, um, but if you consider yourself a fairly healthy person, it, it should, if you're doing a liquid fast, it should take you, I mean, you should be back to normal within a week, uh, generally speaking. Um, and so, uh, you know, your stomach has shrunk, and so don't be surprised that you won't be able to take in as much uh, uh, food as you can. And so uh, it, it's just, you're, you're, it's giving, allowing your digestive organs uh, to gently and progressively um, uh, be put back into efficient use. And that's what you want to do during this time. And so just some ideas like fruits are a good start uh, uh, during this time. You know, milk, uh, I mean, as long as you're not lactose. Um, uh, in the form of yogurt uh, with the fruit, uh, some fresh salads, you know, very little dressing, uh, homemade vegetable soups with, with not too much fat in it, uh, cooked vegetables are pretty good, uh, and then, you know, a bread, toast, like sourdough, I think, is, is quite good. You know, a little bit of butter is quite nice. Um, and, uh, um, and then, you know, uh, taken during this time, uh, and, and then, you know, you move on to other food. Probably, you like cakes, pastries, cookies, and those things. Um, you probably want to wait a little bit, and especially starchy food. And then, and then you introduce your body to protein. Um, probably best introduced in the form of cheese or eggs or nuts. And then fish, and then meat, uh, uh, last of all, during this time. 
just how quickly you increase your diet um, and variety uh, depends on the length of your fast and, and how your body succeeds in coping uh, during this time. Uh, food should be eaten slowly, uh, chewed very, very well uh, before you swallow. And the first sensation of fullness, uh, you should probably stop uh, at that point, even if you haven't finished the portion of food uh, that you have. Uh, discomfort uh, following a meal should be regarded as a signal to ease off and take it easy and maybe even miss the next meal if possible. Again, this is where uh, self-discipline is needed. So just simple rules. I, th- I think these are up on the screen. Watch your, number one, watch your quantities. Eat slowly and masticate, uh, chew well. Stop at the first warning sign. Drink, uh, or I mean rest as much as possible and don't try to do too much too soon during this time. Uh, this is a, a great way for us to adjust our diets, and uh, uh, we're you know, much healthier, hopefully, during this time. Uh, but more importantly, continue to press in in prayer and, and you know, see how God will continue to bless you uh, during this time. Amen? Amen. Like I said, uh, most of you will not follow these instructions at all. Right? We understand that, but just let your, let your body be your guide uh, during this time. Okay, um, uh, let me tell you a story. Um, August 1906. In August 1906, uh, in a, uh, a city uh, in Korea, uh, now the city is Pyongyang. Uh, it was called Pyongyang back then as well. But Pyongyang is the capital of North Korea. And so uh, the, the, all the Christians in uh, Korea estimated at that time to be a couple thousand people. Uh, they, uh, the Presbyterian Methodist missionaries, they used to have this uh, uh, kind of a spiritual emphasis week where they would gather all the Christians in Korea to Pyongyang and have what they call a Bible reading week. And so they would gather together and just, and just read the scriptures and seek God. And, and, uh, but this one particular year, in August of 1906, uh, Dr. Howard Agnew Johnson uh, flew in for the meetings. He was in Seoul before, and, and there was uh, some meetings leading up to it. And there seemed to be some sense of excitement that was going on. Like, like they, they felt like God was doing something. And, and Dr. Agnew uh, uh, Johnson had told them that there was a move of God happening in India. There was a move of God happening in Wales. And, and, and God was moving in, in these different parts of the world. There was an outpouring of the Spirit, and it's, it charged these missionaries and these early Korean Christian leaders. So they, they were excited. Oh, God's doing something in the world. If God can do it in Wales, if God can do it in India, maybe God can do it in Korea. This small, tiny, little backwoods country. And so, uh, so these guys got together. Uh, there was a lot of prayer meetings. They decided to fast and seek God's face for this outpouring of the Spirit that was happening. Uh, they, they entered into this week. They're, they were prepared. They were praying. And, and the first few days was pretty good. Like, I mean, the auditorium, it was, it was the uh, Korean Central Church. It was packed, seats 1,500 people. Every night it was packed. Uh, there would be meetings during the day, but, but this is when all the crowd can gather. And, and God was moving. Something was happening. And so every night, a heightened uh, uh, um, anticipation. Every night, a little bit more, a little bit more. And then they got to Monday night, which was supposed to be kind of the, 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 the big time. Like this is the night. This, it's almost like the last night of the retreat you know, kind of thing. And they got to this place, and, and it, was, it was like the, 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 the fervor was rising every night. And then they got to this night, and it just seemed really dead. Like something was wrong. Like it, they, they didn't really sense that, that the vibrancy of God and the Spirit. And so they started uh, uh, praying. The leaders got together and said, okay, something is wrong. Like, 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 like there, there's something that's blocking this outpouring of the Spirit upon this congregation, upon this country. And they started really seeking the Lord. So they get to the next evening, and they're gathered together. 
And uh, um, all of a sudden, something happened. The Holy Spirit started just touching a few people. Um, Mr. Kang, he was one of the, the pastors. Mr. Kang came up to the front, and he took the microphone. He asked the missionaries if he could speak. He took the microphone, and he confessed his hatred for Mr. Kim. Right? So of course, it's got to be Kim, right? Uh, so, and it was another pastor, and he confessed that how, how, how and he's, he used the words, I hated him. And he turned to Mr. Kim, and, and he asked, will you forgive me? I should say this, before then, the American, British, Scottish missionaries, um, uh, after, after the Monday night, uh, this is an important part, I totally forgot, sorry about this. Monday night, and they went and they said, okay, something's blocking. And they asked the question uh, very precisely. They didn't blame anybody else. The leader said, there's something wrong with me. And so they begin to seek God, and they realize that these American, British, Scottish missionaries, in their heart of hearts, they actually look down on the Korean people. And so they confess to the leaders, for, will you forgive us? Will you forgive us for having a superior attitude you know, towards you and, and all these things? And, and they were well-received. And so, they, so that, that's, that's the precursor. So they get to the night. And then Mr. Kang, inspired by the missionaries, he goes to the front and he confesses his hatred over Mr. Kim. Mr. Kim doesn't budge. <laughs> he doesn't move. So the next day, and so now the meeting's over, and, and Mr. Kim just staunch. And, and, and he doesn't do anything, but that night, the Holy Spirit starts working on Mr. Kim. It, you know, it it's just starts churning in his heart. And then the next morning, they come together for their meeting, and then Mr. Kim comes, and he uh, uh, confesses in front of the whole congregation he confesses his hatred for Mr. Blair. So it's another guy. It's not even Mr. Kang, right? And so Mr. Kang was jealous of Mr. Kim. Mr. Kim was jealous of, of, of missionary Blair. And so, and he on his knees fell down and said, will you forgive me? I've had this hatred for you. And, and it's, it's wrong. And I mean, just weeping and, and uh, just incredible humility. And then... The, the, the biographers are writing what happens. He says instantly, in the way they describe it, he said the heavens opened up. The heavens opened up. The Spirit of God fell in Pyongyang and just, just blew people away. Um, people, there were so many people standing in line to confess sins that they just they said, this is going to take forever to do this. So they started uh, what's, what's uh, uh, I'm, I'm, Koreans help me out. Tongsonggido, right? Is that the way you say it? You know, where we all pray together at the same time? Right, thank you. Praise God. I know some Korean, right? And so they basically just said, let's just all pray together, right? And, and that's kind of been a tradition in the Korean church. At that time, Pyongyang was known, and after that incident, it was known as the Jerusalem of the East. Crazy to what it is now. This is revival. This is when God comes and touches uh, uh, his people. It's a, it's a sovereign move of God, an outpouring of the Spirit, primarily upon the church and the people of God. That's why we call it revival. A lot of people use this terminology wrongly, actually. A revival, remember, if, it's re, if something is revived, it has to be alive first, right? That, that's, that's the important part. Otherwise, it's not revival, it's just vival, right? It's just life. And so it's revival, meaning something was dead, came back to life, or something was asleep, dormant, came back to life. That's revival, Revival is primarily for the church. It's the people of God. When that outpouring of the Spirit then spills out into the world, that's what's called an awakening. It's, it's very different. This is akin to the, uh, the, uh, the great awakening in, in Boston uh, through the revivals of Jonathan Edwards. That, that's, that's when God 
touches the church. The church is so impacted and moved that it now begins to spill out into the world, into society. That's an awakening. And so revival primarily deals with the people of God in this way. And you'll notice that, again, it's a sovereign move of God. We're going to be talking a little bit more about it in in weeks to come. But it's a sovereign move of God. But seemingly, there's usually some things that, that happen before God comes and touches a church, which is primarily humbling themselves with prayer and fasting. That there, the, all throughout history, we see that there was this connection between concentrated seasons of fasting and humbling themselves and seeking the Lord, and then God answers primarily these prayers by bringing a revival, about, about awakening our hearts once again to the presence of God. It's a powerful thing that happens. And so uh, I want to talk about this. Uh, today, uh, fasting for revival, just getting to that heart. Um, but I'm going to use uh, some passages in the Bible. So I'm going to show you three passages in the scriptures where this formula uh, is intact and how the people of God came to this place and, 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 and prayed and fasted and how God came and brought revival into their midst. So three, three Old Testament characters, right? So, and so that, this is my sermon. Right? It's not really three points, but I'm just going to three characters, and, and, and then we're going to wrap this up together. So the first one is Jonah. So you guys know Jonah, right? Jonah uh, was his star prophet. God told Jonah, I want you to go to the Ninevites. And, and these were the great enemies of the Israelites. They had done really bad things to the Jews, and so, but, so he tells Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go and I want you to tell them, right, and, and preach to them and save them. And Jonah is basically a good racist. He, he, he didn't like these people. Now, notice, read, read the text carefully. Jonah had a lot of faith. Think about this. Jonah knew. Jonah thought, okay, if I go, I mean, think about the confidence of this guy. If I go and I preach, they're all going to be saved. He, he knew that. They're, they're all going to get saved. Oh, this guy's confident. It wasn't in him. He knew that God was gracious. He knew, right? He, he, he was a prophet enough time to know that when God said something, he's going to do it. And so if he's going to ask me to come and share with these people, wow, these guys are going to get saved. And Jonah, I don't want them to get saved. I hate these people. They did bad stuff to us. And so what does Jonah do? He goes the opposite way. And you know the story. A big fish comes and swallows up Jonah. He's in the belly for three days. And, and finally Jonah says, okay, all right. right. And the fish spits him out onto the land of Nineveh. And so he's there. And, and what happens? Right? He, he preaches. I mean, it's just, just the, the, by the way, I want you to know Jonah, which is kind of an interesting character in the Bible, Jonah is the most successful preacher in the whole Bible. He is. He preached one message. He said like 12 words. And 120,000 people got saved. Like, he is the most effective preacher in the whole Bible. So let's read this. Jonah 3, 1 to 4. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. So, right, God is a God of second chances saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim it, to, uh, proclaim it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. So, such a simple message. Now look at how the people responded. There was a warning there. And in, in verse 5 to 6, it says, Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. <laughs> That's a work of the Spirit, man. Right? They believed in God. And they, and they called a fast and put, in, put on sackcloth. This was um, um, a kind of the old, the ancient way of humbling yourself. 
of, of, of kind of putting yourself in a very humble position uh, and, and also mourning. When people mourn, they also put on sackcloth. In other words, clothing that was very uncomfortable. Right? And they put ashes over their head. That one I don't really quite understand, but that was just a tradition of theirs that happened. And so they called a fast, put on sackcloth from the, from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. This is amazing. So, simple. You know, Nineveh, repent, right? Or else 40 days, right? Judgment is going to come to you. And the city believed. God was moving. It's an outpouring of the Spirit is happening there. And the people called a fast. Even when the king heard it, he repented, put on sackcloth and these things. And then, right, the, the whole city turned to God in fasting repentance and then the king issues a proclamation. This is, this is one of the craziest proclamations that, that a, uh, a king would do, uh, a pagan king. 7 and 9, look what he says. He issued a proclamation and said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both men and beasts must be covered with sackcloth. Let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. You know how seriously the king took it? Every person and he ordered every animal to fast. <laughs> That's crazy. Right? He says, your herds, they're also going to fast. No food, no water. I mean, and, and, you know, I mean, can you imagine these guys had to make sackcloth for their animals? I mean, that's, that's crazy. They're, they're cow. They had, to, they had to make sackcloth and put it on the cow. I mean, he, this king was taking this serious and said, and, and they did an absolute fast. No food, no water, so that God could have mercy on us is this outpouring of the spirit what did god do how did he respond to this in verse 10 it says when god saw their deeds that they turned from their wicked way then god relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them and he did not do it uh, history says that Nineveh remained a great city for another 200 years, you know, and then it was eventually destroyed, right? Different kings, different leaders, they didn't have the same heart uh, that happened here. Uh, and then 200 years later, uh, Nineveh became no more. But they had this season, they had this incredible time, and they called everyone to fast, to humble themselves, to seek God's face. And God responded. All right? So, Jonah. Second, Esther. Esther. So, uh, in, in the book of Esther, the Jewish people are in exile. Uh, and now they're in the Persian Empire. Um, and at, at that time, uh, the Persian Empire consisted of 127 provinces around the world. It was at that time the, the largest kingdom of this world. And so, uh, uh, it, I mean, it stretched from Egypt to, to India. Practically every Jewish person living in the world lived within the confines of the Persian Empire. And so, j just to give you an idea of what's happening, there was a man called Haman. And Haman, for whatever reason, just hated Jewish people. He was Hitler before Hitler, in essence. And so he, came, and he, just, he, just, he just hated the Jewish people. And so he basically, very slyly, uh, um, had the king issue a, 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 a universal decree that basically was the grounds for eliminating the Jewish people. 
And so Haman had it in his heart that he was going to he was going to obliterate the face of the earth with Jews in one day. Like I said, he was Hitler before Hitler. And so and, and that that was that was the whole idea. This this is what he was going to do all throughout this time. And so um, uh, and out of this great threat, God raised up this little princess, and her name was Esther. And so let's let's just read this. So well, let me do it a little before. So then Mordecai, uh, uh, Esther's uncle. I mean, that, there's a little bit of a controversy. We don't know exactly. Could have been the father, uncle. We don't know, but someone very close. Uh, Kim comes to Esther and basically tells her what's going on in this place. And then Esther is just struck, and and he says this incredible words. He says, "Who knows that if it, that you know, basically you have attained royalty." Remember, for such a time as this. And, and, and basically what Mordecai is saying is, Esther, God put you in this position just for this time, for this threat that, that's upon our people, the extermination of our people. And so, so this is how Esther responds. Uh, in Esther 4, 15 and 17, it says, And Esther told, uh, told them to reply to Mordecai, Go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa. This was the capital. That's where they're staying. And fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night a day. And I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. Now, we don't quite understand this, but in this context, Esther is putting her life in danger. It was forbidden under Persian law that you, go, you went to go see the king. You needed to be summoned by the king. For you to go and, and, and inquire of the king was actually a death sentence. And so Esther, that's why she says, all right, I'm going to go to the king. And if I die, I die. But I'm going to do this thing. But... I need the strength, so you need to fast for me. So, th- so how did people respond? Everyone fasted. Three days, three nights, no food, no drink. And they cried out to God for His mercy uh, in this way. So we'll continue the story in chapter 5, verse 1 through 3. Now it came about on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes, stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's rooms, and the king was sitting on his royal throne in the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. When the king saw Esther, the queen standing in the court, she obtained favor in his sight. That's God. God did that. She obtained favor in his sight, and the king extended to Esther the golden scepter which was in his hand. So Esther came near and touched the top of the scepter. Then the king said to her, What is troubling you, Queen Esther? And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom, it shall be given to you. Incredible. God, through the petition, through the humbling, through the fasting and the prayer, begin to move on the king's heart and grants this request. And then, you know, Esther very, very uh, shrewdly says, you know, King, let's, I want to have a banquet. I want to honor you, and I want to bring Haman to this banquet. And so she prepares, and they're excited. Haman comes in, and, you know, and all these things happen. And you know the story, right? You know, she, uh, she tells the king, this is what's troubling me, right? There is an order. You, basically, you know that I'm a, I'm a Jewish person, and there's this order that's going to wipe out my people, and the king's like, what? You know, who did this? Well, you did, king. You know, but it was Haman. And, and what did, I mean, what did God do? How did he respond to this? Not only does he move in, in the king's heart, but we know this story, right? The king had actually, uh, the Haman had actually set up a, a gallow. You know, uh, 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 they were going to hang Mordecai. And so the king is so angry at Haman for basically, in his mind, tricking him to bring out this edict against this group of people. And so he, he basically answers her request. Haman, I mean, think, think about redemption. Haman is hung on those gallows, right? You know, number one, what all the position that Haman had was given to Mordecai. 
I should, I should say this before. Even before Esther and the feast, the king can't sleep. And he goes and starts reading the history books. And as he's reading a certain section of the history book, there, there, was, there was this plot actually to kill the king. And it was Mordecai who told the guards about this plot, this insurrection that was happening. And the king goes, did we ever reward Mordecai? And there was no reward. I mean, what are the chances this guy can't go to sleep? He picks out of the history of the Persian Empire, and he picks this one little slice, and it happens to be, mentions Mordecai. And then when Esther comes, I mean, this is what something only God can do. How does God respond miraculously? Right? Through what? Through just the simple prayers and fasting of his people. Remember, we do the natural. We leave it up to God to do the super. That's just basically how it works. And genocide is averted through the courage of one woman and a people who humble themselves by fasting. It's, it's, it's insane when you think about this. You know, I mean, let, let, me, just, let me just say this just, just real briefly, okay? You know, brothers and sisters, I, I, just so you know, you, you may not know, but just so you know, all around the world right now, there is a call again for the genocide of the Jewish people. There's marches happening all over the world, right? You know, it's, it's pro-Palestine, but primarily pro-Hamas. And, and they're saying this statement, from the river to the sea. You know what that means? That, that's a call for genocide. That's a call for the eradication of the Jewish people. It's happening again. It happens over and over throughout history. And, and, but, I mean, God will avert this also again. And so I don't want you to be misled, right? And when you hear those kind of statements, right? I mean, you know, I, I, I saw this one, uh, uh, this one video and this uh, American woman, I think she was in New York City. And she had this sign. It said, from the river to the sea and so on and so forth. And the man asked, what river? She had no idea. What sea are you talking about? She has no idea. She's uttering these statements. And the guy says, you know, so uh, who lives from the river to the sea? He says, the Jewish people. So are you, are you, are you protesting the eradication of the Jews? Oh, no, 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 no. That's exactly what you're saying when you say from the river to the sea. You know, and then and she got all pissed off and cursed and walked away and things like that. Uh, just, just incredible ignorance, right? I mean, just to highlight, it's, it's happening again, right? There will always be Mordecai's, uh, not Mordecai, there will always be Haman's, there will always be Hitler's, right? There will always be Hamas and other organizations. It, it's, it's just a, a sad, sad commentary on what we see today in this way. Okay, let's move on. I, I could go on for a while, but that's not my point today. The last one, Joel, the prophet Joel. So, for an understanding, Joel gives us this really incredible understanding of, of what God expects from us, especially in the last days. Joel gives us kind of this, this brief but thorough view of God's purposes for his people in the last days. And so in Joel, he starts off by presenting basically the present situation, the very dire, hopeless, desperate situation that the Israelites find themselves in during the ministry of the prophet Joel. And so in Joel verse one, chapter 1, verse 8 to 12, this is what he says. He says, Wail like a virgin, girded with sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth, the grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn, the ministers of the Lord. The field is ruined and the land mourns, for the grain is ruined. The new wine dries up, fresh oil fails. Be ashamed, O farmers, wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine dries up and the fig tree fails. The pomegranate, the palm also, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field dry up. Indeed, rejoicing dries up from the sons of men. Now, uh, it's primarily talking agriculturally, 
But he's talking about a state of the, the nation of Israel at, at this time. They're, they're under judgment. Uh, there's things happening here, and there's no, there's no food. There's no grain. There, there's no wine. It's, it's all dried up. It's, it's kind of a judgment on the way they had been living for such a long time. And so God raises up Joel to speak into the midst of this crisis. And so in, in, in Joel 2.12, this is how God wants him to respond. He says in, in 2.12, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Joel 2.15, there's a bunch of these, right? God says, blow a trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly. In other words, he says, do you, do you see how your actions have left, led to this present calamity that we're in right now? And God says, return to me. Repent. Right? Come back. Come back into my heart. It's, it's the invitation that's offered. And so what do they do? What do the people of God do? They did it. They consecrated a fast. The, and notice it was calling out the leaders, the ministers, the priests, the elders come together. He says, I want you to come and weep between the porch and the altar. This is, this is the temple. I, I, I want you to, to go before the Lord and I, and I, I want you to, right, to, 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 to lament your actions and the things that you've been doing. And so God, right, they respond by prayer and fasting and humbling themselves. And so then how does God respond? In Joel 2.23, look what he says. So rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God, for he has given you the early rain for your vindication, and he has poured down for you the rain, the early and the latter rain, as before. And then in 2.28, he continues on. And he says, and it will come about that after this, that I'll pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. And your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. Remember, this is what Peter preached in Pentecost. And he says, in the last days... I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. But notice that this passage of Joel, in the beginning of 28, he goes, it will come about after this. What is he talking about? What is after this? He's going to, this is a promise of God. I will pour out my spirit after this. What preceded the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? It was fasting and prayer. It was them humbling themselves, consecrating, blow the trumpet in Zion, concentrate this day, right? Set yourself apart for God. Repent. Humble yourself before the Lord with fasting and prayer. And then what happens? He pours out His Spirit upon all mankind. He prophesied this. Right? It's going to come after fasting and prayer. Brothers and sisters, fasting and prayer is the key to an outpouring of the Spirit in our lives, right? But also in the life of the world around us. Do you like the things that are happening around the world right now? It's horrible. It's, I mean, it's, it's crazy what's happening. It's crazy this onslaught, especially upon our children, right? I mean, thankfully in Hong Kong, we're a little safe from that. But around the world, especially the Western world, I mean, it's just amazing the agenda that's laid out there. Very blatant, satanic agenda that's laid out. And if we're tired of this, what's the remedy? We need an outpouring of the Spirit. We need Jesus to come and, 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 and the Holy Spirit to move on people's hearts in such a way that they turn to the Lord. It needs to hit the church first and then out 
into the world. And so my question as I close today, are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to, what my friend said, pray the price? Let me invite the worship team to come. Let me read from a different passage in the Old Testament. This is Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. We know one of those ways of humbling ourselves and praying is through fasting. David says, I humbled my soul with fasting. If there's, if there's ever been a time in my life, you know, I'm 56 years old. If there's ever been a time in my life where we need a move of God, it's now. It's now. I mean, when I was a youth pastor, I thought the world was, like, incredibly bad. Dude, it's nothing like today. It's, today is crazy. I mean, it is crazy, right? We need a move of God, right? But again, it starts with us first. Revival. God comes, he awakens, brings to life something that was dormant. And so today, I want to pray for personal revival. We're just going to open up the altar again. And this is, this is we're not talking about the city of Hong Kong, right, or, you know, any other place, America, or, you know, London, or anything. We're just talking about yourself. Do you need a personal revival? Do you need to be awakened in your heart? Do you need to return to the Lord with all of your heart? And if that's where you're at, I want you to come and just find a place to to sit or stand or kneel or whatever you want to do and ask God for a personal revival. You know, we've been fasting. We've been seeking God. And so now we'll ask God to respond to us in this way. And so why don't you just come and, and we'll, we'll pray together. You guys lead us in a song. Come on, let's seek the Lord together as a church.
us to stand to our feet. And we do this as a family of God, right? If these are your friends or, you know, your spouse, your house church members, let's get out of our seat and let's come and let's just pray for them. Just pray that their heart will be awakened again before the Lord. Oh, come on. Let's get out of our seats. Let's all participate. Every man a minister, every woman a minister. Let's make sure everyone is prayed for and covered and loved in this place. Just find someone, just lay your hands and just pray. And ask God just to begin to move over their life. Thank you, Jesus. Pray the heart will be awakened. There's a lot of ones here in the front. It's okay. Two or three upon persons. It's all right. Let's pray. Let's lift up. like the ones here that are praying, I, I, I get a strong sense from the Lord that there is authority over you right now. And so don't ask God, right? I mean, we're asking God, but I think there's an authority command a blessing. I believe God's not just going to change their heart or transform their heart. God's going to give them a new heart. 
totally new, flexible, pliable, soft, warm. And so when you pray, command a blessing upon them right now. Well, let's, let's, just, let's just continue to go before the Lord. Yes, God. Lord, we're not here to beg, God. Lord, we're crying out for what you want in their life. We're joining the prayer of the Spirit right now. Lord, we command a blessing, God. Don't just change our heart. Give them a new heart, God. You promised us that through Jeremiah. Give them a new heart, Lord. spirit upon our lives God Lord it it's, hits home first God and then it goes out to our families our workplaces the world the light that shines the brightest and the farthest shines brightest at home here in our hearts God and so would you transform us Lord would you give us a new heart God Lord would you cause revival to break out within us Lord thank you for your promises God Lord, we are willing to pray the price, Lord. And so thank you, Lord. We love you, God. We bless you. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to him. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, shalom, from this day forever. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.